This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery. Bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm Wayne Barton, joined by the legendary former Manchester United defender, Paul Parker. How are you doing, Paul? I'm fine, thank you very much, Wayne. Good. And um, I put the call out because um, obviously it's been a week without a podcast and I was wondering, obviously we've got, we have got plenty to talk about, but I put the call out and I said I'm going to be doing a a podcast with uh, Paul Parker in the morning because obviously we do it on a Monday but um, I put the call out last night and this morning for questions and I got a bunch of questions coming in like people didn't realise that we do a podcast I'm like guys we've been doing this for two and a half years Neil like you know get in tune into this like we we talk about everything that you want to talk about so if you if you're listening for the first time to see if your question gets answered it will, hopefully, um, but you can ask one next week as well because we're always here, and um, you know, we just don't um, whore ourselves out in the same way other people do. Um, but yeah, we're always here. Always good to talk to different people, and um, we're not um, a podcast that will um, sit and say we're the right people all the time. We always listen to what other people are saying, and we always take debate. We're always willing to change our mind on stuff. So um, yeah, if you're listening for the first time subscribe and all that good stuff and give us a rating on um, iTunes um, The let's get the uh, bookkeeping out of the way the Talking Devils brought to you in association with Classic Football Shirts Classic Football Shirts have a range of classic shirts and sportswear online and in physical stores as well listeners to this podcast get a 10% discount with TOTD10 at the checkout if you're using their website we are, as always, proud to support the Duncan Edwards Foundation and Museum in Dudley run by Rose Cook Monk 
um, she does a great job running that museum and it's in Dudley Town Centre, he does a lot of work um, committed to the Munich side as well as Duncan, so it's not for profit, but it's a valuable part of United Culture, so get down there. Um, now the, the doors are opening, the museum's opening on the 18th of May to the public, so get there. Um, Paul, I just wanted to start with a, you know, I, I normally start with a rant, but um, I've been reminiscing this week, because I turn 40 next week, and, um, you know, and... A personal note, um, 10 years ago, when I, 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 you know me, I'm a nostalgic kind of person, I, I reminisce quite a lot, and um, when I was 10 years younger, um, I'd only really started dipping my toes into podcasting, you know, and that was with a few friends, and, and we sort of did that and talked about United, and that was great, and sort of that, that evolved over the years where, um, you know, when I started working with Brian, he wanted, uh, Brian Greenoff, he wanted to sort of do podcasts and stuff like that he was really interested in it so we we did podcasts for a bit and then that when um, Brian passed sadly um, Gordon sort of stepped in Gordon Hill and we worked for a few years and then he moved to Seattle where the time difference made it difficult to sort of align our our calendars and then you stepped into the breach like a hero and for the last two years I've said it to you many times Paul and I know that you get a little bit embarrassed by it but you know it's just been like you know I've spent a couple of years of of my thirties talking about the team that I love with one of the heroes in the team that I grew up with and you know um, I know I did this a couple of weeks ago didn't I like going on a nostalgic ramble about how, how grateful I am but you know it's really an amazing experience talking football with you and I, I am really grateful for it um, and, and, and do you know what what's really good about it is that we started talking we started doing this podcast together at, just at the time when Ali Gunnar Solskjaer um, took the job and and it's funny because we came out from different um, angles with the Jose Mourinho thing because I know that you were always against Mourinho and I, I think you were probably a little bit frustrated that I, I try and put myself across as someone who was a someone with a considered opinion and yet I thought Mourinho was a good choice for the job at the time and you're like well you can't be serious but we've we've kind of I, you know I agreed with you I just certainly agreed with everyone that he deserved to be sacked at the end of it and we've definitely found common ground in supporting Ollie haven't we all this way through and for him to get to where he is now he's got to a European final um, after defeating Roma the, the job was really done in one half of that semi-final wasn't it the second half of the first leg pull and you know to, for him to get to that final and dispel all that talk about the semi-finals um, it, was a, it was a good thing for the players don't get me wrong a great performance but I, I don't know why I just feel really happy for Solskjaer after that two legs that you know he's, he's made that major step I mean I'm not saying it arrests all doubts because we're talking about the Europa League final but it, it is a final nonetheless it's a European final the eighth in United history and um, I mean the, the two things there to go at it with Paul you know obviously about Solskjaer himself and how um, happy we are for, for him but um, about the performance over the two legs. I mean, it, it was that blistering second half in, in the first leg, wasn't it, that, that basically sealed the deal? Yeah, I think we have to <clears throat> we have to say that it was that, but the first half was awful. They were awful, but then, um, I don't know if Manchester United were making them look that little bit better because mm. they, you got you, there was a little bit of concern there, but the moment United went at them and they just, they just made mistakes. They made... They made poor mistakes, and and Cavani 
was a difference in that second half. His knowledge made a difference. He's not on the field, and United might have got over the line, but they would have struggled, and they would have been going to, to Roma, or to Roma, I should say, yeah. on, a more, on a lot more of an edge. There's always an edge there because that four goal, having a four goal advantage still made it edgy because everyone was more concerned on the embarrassment side if United were to get pegged back. Yeah. You know, everyone was still living off a game involving Barcelona. Everyone kept talking about that, what happened with Barcelona and things like that. Everyone was looking for reasons why it wasn't going to be easy. Well, in theory, it should have been easy, that second leg. And, you know, there was, again, there was a few little worries, but it was you always saw whatever happened that something was always going to happen, be happening between Cavani and Fernandes. There was something there. The defence are edgy, but at the end of it, they got over the, they got over the, they got over the line. In, in in theory, the much better team over over the two legs. Really, it wasn't it wasn't vintage United in a semi final. I'm sure that the way the way that United have gone through is not the way that Oli really <clears throat> wanted to get to a final, but. He's going to grab it. He's definitely going to grab it. And he's he's taken another step further as a Manchester United manager by getting into a European competition. No different no different to how it was for Sir Alex as well. And, and with him with a Cup Winners' Cup um, and doing that. And you look back on the Cup Winners' Cup, you, you suddenly realise that competition, as big as it was for United, and it was massive at that time, you look back at that and you, you, well, you was up against teams that won the equivalent of the FA Cup in their final and the way that we talk about the FA Cup now here the way it's treated by a lot of people it was it's a nothing competition as such mm. they're trying to belittle the Europa League I think the Europa League is a diff- difficult one to win because the amount of games you have to play and the fact of the travelling that goes with going to some of these weird places somewhere you know east of Russia who just they just about creep in because they they're just inside the borders of Asia, but and they can play in Europe. So it's a difficult one to win mentally because you're up against teams and um, teams that you've never heard of, players you don't know about. So for, all round, it's a difficult one to win, and you're either going to go for it or you just can, or you're not going to go for it. That's how that competition is. And Oli needed to go for everything. He's and he's gone forward and he's got himself into a European final and. And you can't take that away from him as much as everyone will try their best for reasons what you know they'll look at reasons why he's got there and try and look for negative ones. But he's got to a European final. Mourinho got Manchester United there. Mourinho jumped on jumped off the back of all the time he was like, I've done this, I've got I've done that. Mourinho hated this competition while he was a Chelsea manager. Mm. But he comes to United and he sang its praises because he knew how important it was for him to win this at Manchester United. So Ollie, Ollie's no difference, but he won't be shouting about it because he's got to a final. He knows now he's a Manchester United manager. He has to go and win a final now, and he isn't going to want to go through it again by getting to a final, then having to sit about and maybe wait for another year to get try and get there again to then try and win it. So he knows that this is a golden opportunity to, to win this. And as... As, as well as Villarreal done, and they've got maybe the most experienced manager this comp- in this competition, yeah. <coughs> who's ever, who's ever, man- ever managed in this competition. He knows how difficult it is up against the Villarreal side. <coughs> Didn't look that great. Arsenal had enough chances to hit, in, I think, um, Aubameyang 
hit the inside of the post twice and never come out the right way. They're the only, they're a couple, a couple that I saw, but I think there was in, things in between. He knows it's a one-off game, and it's there for him to go and get something out of it. Yeah, in Poland on Semap's but uh, Semap birthday after. Obviously, the 1999 Champions League final, which um, the current manager scored the late winner, and it's just that's United, though, isn't it? You know, they always have these kind of historic, nostalgic ties to to games and events. Um, I, I suppose it helps when one of the legendary managers was born in, you know, born in that that um, period of time. That it's like me, you know, my birthday's in May, and I've had some great sort of moments on my birthday because of the way that it's aligned you know and, and some not so great as well because, because of the results sometimes um, but yeah it's um, that is United fated and Solskjaer more than most players is tied to that United romance and fate so he will know all about that and hopefully like I said he is a tough opponent don't discount Villarreal and especially don't discount the manager um, so yeah it's, it's going to be an interesting one and definitely look forward to that but I think it's just the fact that Solskjaer got there and we've sort of ridden this wave haven't we you and I like talked about it and I remember at the start of this season saying oh I can't see him getting through to the end of it you know no matter when especially after that Spurs game I was saying it's just a case of when that trigger's going to get pulled and I'm not saying that I am um, I'm not giving the club the benefit of the doubt for giving patience or anything like that I give it all to Wally for proving everyone wrong and and, to, and and we've said it on numerous times in this podcast Paul you and I we, we've not been afraid to say alright Ollie did something that we wouldn't have necessarily done but we can see why he did it and he's earned the reward of that and I, I think everyone uh, there's still going to be people, people who criticise him and I'll be honest sometimes I look at him and I see the image of him as a Manchester United manager and I still think he's growing into it rather than I think yeah he's definitely the man who should be Manchester United manager and, yeah. I, and I worry sometimes if I'm not treating him with the kind of respect but I know that it comes from a good place because you know I want him to succeed it's a strange one isn't it because Ollie, you know being a former player and the first sort of former player to sort of take this road um I, I know that I'm doing him a disservice by saying he doesn't look like a proper manager. I don't mean it like that. I just mean, wait, I, su- I suppose it would be the same if you were manager. You know, you've been that like, used to seeing them in in the red. That when they're on the sidelines, it's it takes some adjusting, and it's still taking adjusting. It's two years into it, um, but it's great for him, isn't it? I know you've you've been close to um, when, when he was at one brink wasn't it um, when Mourinho just took over at Spurs and actually you and I I think we were at Hotel Football that day and he got a big win that night and I know you were there later and you were saying that he'd sort of talked to Fergie and everything like that so there's like a willingness within the sort of the community of people who matter at United for Oli to come good isn't there well I think that's fair to say isn't it yeah without a doubt <clears throat> there's the sceptics and there's the ones who just don't want him there. They just don't see it happening. And the ones who, in certain ways, they'll come out and be Manchester. They are Manchester United supporters, but they're not really because, on a many occasion, they wanted Manchester United to lose or to not gain anything because they felt that that if that happened, he was Ollie was going to get the sack. Yeah. And that's and that's the way <laughs> a lot of these kind of modern day fans are. That's the way. They think about things. They they want their team to lose to lose somebody who they believe isn't right. But everything about Ollie as a person, the way he conducts himself, is by far you know character wise, is perfect for Manchester United to compare 
to compare Mourinho to him would be totally wrong mm. on that sense of it. You, you know, people will say, but Mourinho's won this and won that, and you have to agree with it, but we have to remember you know, that's history. That's gone. We, you know, we, we can talk, people can talk about it, but I didn't want to hear him keep telling people all the time. Sir Alex doesn't ever tell people. People go and talk to Sir Alex and want to be around him because he's won it. Mm. And they'll, they'll come and talk to him about it. He won't be telling them. They'll be talking to him. And that's the thing that, one of the things that puts me off. And when people tell me he's a winner all the time, Mourinho and Ollie, Ollie, Ollie's not. Well, there. But at some point, you you have to get there and win that first one. So it's a chicken and egg scenario. The job in its first place. He hasn't got the right CV. Well, he's got to go and earn yeah. earn it. Really. Oh, but he was rubbish at Cardiff. Well, sometimes it doesn't work at certain places, and you start again. You know that that's how things work out. Sir Alex didn't with his first job. He he lost his job. Yeah. He didn't didn't go well for him. You know, so it, no one starts, you know, on a bed of roses and finishes on a bed of roses. You look at Arsene Wenger, and when he came to Arsenal, bed of roses, and he kept going and going. When he left, it was a bed of thorns. Mm. So things can move on, but the, the thing I say about Oli is that when it when he he got that job, and then all of a sudden, the media, <clears throat> the media, and the, the journalist or whatever you want to say, whichever way, the the print and um the um the TV. All of them, there was, there was a gang of three, and there was one of them who was who was the run to the litter, and that was Ollie. The other two were perfect for TV and journalists. They loved them. Golden boys, Arteta and Lampard. Yeah, it was strange that, wasn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. That's, I, I really, I can't, and was what what was it? Because what he he wasn't. They saw Ollie is not good on the eye. They, he wasn't like. Frank and looking all swish and looking a million dollars in his kit, you know, poster boy stuff. Arteta, he looks like he looks like um, I call him Captain Scarlet. <laughs> he looks he looks like Captain Scarlet, but he he suited. He he was foreign. He he'd worked for Pep, so the so the press loved that bit they can say about this and what he's going to bring. And one of them's out of work. His job got absolutely dis- what he'd done at Chelsea got absolutely destroyed because a new manager's come in and he's made them. He's made them loads better. He's made them more secure. He's, he's made Chelsea look like a side that next season is 100% going to compete in the Premier League. Yeah. And then you, then, you look at, then you look at the other one. You look at Arsenal. And Arsenal haven't come forward from when the previous manager was there. Mm. They haven't stepped forward at all. Showing little glimmers, but they haven't. But yet you look at Manchester United and you look at everything about Manchester United. They're in a better position now than they've ever been from when Sir Alex retired when you look at it as a team but the only thing you worry about is everything else around it is is there enough for him to build on at this moment Ollie is is he going to be given the right foundation to go on and try and build that little bit more he's proven himself because he's because his resources have been no different no different to the other managers because he's been round the same block as them on the financial side and the way they've managed it but he's come through and yes, they won trophies. You know, they've won an FA Cup and they've won the Europa League under under previous managers. But we know that it still wasn't right. Everything it was wrong. You know, the whole club was affected at one stage under the previous manager, and that had to be dealt with. He dealt with that. So he's learning as he goes, and as he goes, and and he's passed. He's passed it. Now, if he doesn't win the Europa League, he's you know. I worry that people are going to persecute him again, which is an absolute disgrace. But it's the way 
life is today. It's the way football's become now. All of a sudden, you don't win something and you're a bottler. Mm. And when I hear that from people, I say, but how can you say that? Oh, well, they've done this and done that. I said, but it wasn't one, it was a team. Oh, the team bottled it. No, the other team could have been just better on the day. Yeah. But, you know, look straight away, the thing is, though, with a new term, the, the social media term is, oh, they bottled it. Yeah. You know said, that, sorry to interrupt, but people yeah. will, might listen to this and say, oh, well, we're getting our excuses in early, but we're not. Because I, I'm, I, I know what you would say to this is, it doesn't matter if we win or lose. That, well, that's what you're trying to say, is that yeah. the, the, the win or lose um, procedure of a, a cup final has nothing to do with what Ole has done in the two and a half years. Um, it doesn't speak for it. I mean, the fact that we got there is is a good step forward, but it's a lottery. It's always a lottery. You, I mean, you played in cup finals that were lost for United, and that was one of the, be- the best United team that I've ever watched in my lifetime, you know, against Aston Villa. You know, uh, um, things just go wrong sometimes on the day, and that's, again, it's not getting the excuse in early. It's just saying, look, it'll be great if we win, but let's not crucify him if we lose because let's just take a step back and look at everything that you've just mentioned there everything that he inherited and the fact that it's not just on the pitch that he's had to fix these problems he's had to sort of change this mentality like can you remember like even 18 months ago just before Bruno came in and we were saying these are the kind of games like Burnley at home or, or whoever at home and I'm not saying that this is a problem that's completely gone but we were saying these are problems that he's going to have to address and it's a mentality problem, it's not a player problem. And he's working at it and he's seen... I mean, we, we, what's the thing that we've been seeing the last few weeks, Paul? It's like, oh, OK, it wasn't great. But we were getting those own wins where we hadn't got them previously. So the baby steps, the baby steps, and as long as you can see them for progress, then... Um, yeah, that, that's just the main thing for me. I just... Um, you mentioned about Ollie getting back to in the summer, and people will listen to say, "Oh, you've gone twenty minutes into this podcast, you haven't mentioned the protests." Um, first of all, they weren't mentioned on last week's podcast because we didn't do a podcast because we were—I was participating in that sort of media blackout thing, um, protesting against the um, as a protest, asylum protest um, against the online abuse. Um, so we didn't do a podcast and people will be asking for our opinion of that and I still think now you've seen there's been some kind of response from the ownership and I'm not saying whether or not I agree with that I think perhaps um, we've waited 16 years to hear those kind of words and actions speak louder than words so we will see but I do think now that they have engaged give them the opportunity to see what they're going to do Either either they're going to sell up, which is very unlikely, given what they said with the statement, or or they're going to enter into more meaningful dialogue um, and, and constructive dialogue about how to sort of eradicate the debt and everything like that. We have to see. You've asked for them to be given uh, to give you a chance in sort of dialogue with this dialogue, and and it's there. Let's give that chance, um, give that thing a chance to sort of grow and see what happens with it, but for the avoidance of any doubt and I don't want to put Paul in any kind of position with this but this is my personal opinion yes I believe the protest was the um, right thing to do um, in terms of getting that kind of response I don't agree with everything that the supporters did I think obviously with any kind of protest 
Um, it goes too far sometimes. Some people do go too far. That happens at every single kind of protest. Uh, that you will get a small minority that will do stuff like that. I'm not condoning that. What I'm saying is that it happens. And if that's the sort of collateral damage that it needs in order to... I'm not saying um, someone getting scored is collateral damage that's acceptable. It's absolutely not. But the, the protest itself needed to happen for United to move forward um, to get to this position where they're getting the dialogue. Let's, as a reasonable supporter base, I understand that they're talking about protesting um, before the rearranged Liverpool game as well. If that's what you're going to do, power to you if you think that that's going to force this dialogue to continue um, then great um, I support all this kind of dialogue um, and, and protesting to get it to that position for, for what my own opinion counts but um, I, I think it's good that we've got this dialogue and I think um, like any sort of reasonable society we should at least now we've got some kind of dialogue started see where it goes um, and it's all very well saying we want to see action um, give them the chance for that action then um, and, and then by all means you know, continue to protest and don't let the momentum slip I com- completely agree with that I just think that um, if you do that before the opportunity to have this dialogue perhaps it might be counterproductive I don't know um, it's, it's unfolding before our eyes um, but I will say in, in a way I'm proud that United supporters can coming together to sort of cancel the, the biggest game in, in football in, in English football certainly is um, was a momentous day and, and one that you know overall I'm proud that it happened I'm proud that it was United supporters who took that stand because you don't see any other you know after this Europa um, uh, European Super League nonsense you know to hear Guardiola come out and start talking about the ethics of good competition when he's spending all this money um, to eliminate competition in England he's, um, I, th- I thought his tongue must have been stuck in his cheek with that so I'm, I'm glad that we're, we're sort of still protesting for that change um, but as I said earlier it looks like there's dialogue let's see where the dialogue goes um, the rescheduling poll has left us with a bit of a pickle because now we've got about 50 games in three days the situation that you found in your first season at United. Mm. Um, talk, uh, let's not talk about the, the effect that the protesting had on this, just the fact that there is four games in seven days. Um, how difficult is that going to be? I mean, we don't. I, I, I don't normally put you on the spot to say give individual predictions for games, but... Um, what, looking at this run of fixtures, you've got Leicester and, and Liverpool. Um, Leicester lost last night, so second place looks really secure. Um, my my ask of a prediction for you is: Do you reckon that United are going to be in second by the time we do the next podcast, which I presume is going to be after the conclusion of the league season? Yes, I'm, I could never ever see Leicester actually sustaining. What they had been doing, to be perfectly honest, Wayne. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me, Seth. Yeah. So, just by the the fact of there being previous Leicester, and and then as well, <coughs> just just a manager. A manager. I've always said about Brendan Rodgers, he's a nearly man. The moment he gets praise, his praises, start, yeah. people start singing them. Things fall apart. It happened from happened for him with Liverpool. Happened last season with Leicester. And it's happening again. It's happened a few times this season when he's been mentioned with the England job. He's been mentioned with our so-called bigger jobs than Leicester. 
and it falls apart mm. as he's has he got mentioned with the Tottenham job and he's coming out saying you know virtually saying why would he's doing and it's and things don't go things just don't go right when they need it to do to be and that's the difference between Leicester trying to you know trying to be a side that's going to be everyone's going to go everyone's going to be talking about Leicester Champions League team always going to be in a Champions League to a side Leicester maybe they've got good players but maybe <clears throat> and they are a maybe team and that result last night says it all about Leicester yeah. says it all about them I mean I want to say great Steve Bruce and going and scoring four goals there but you can't because <clears throat> everyone knows about Newcastle they know their weaknesses they you know, because there's a load more weaknesses than what there is strengths. They've got one player in particular who's a massive strength to them. That's yeah. St. Maximin. And other than that, really, you're, you're questioning them, really, other players who are going to make an impact. Callum Wilson, Willock off the bench. And then you're kind of going, ooh. But Leicester went and got conceded four at home to Newcastle, and Newcastle were taking a struggle. So in answer to your question, <coughs> United will definitely finish second for me. I've seen a few people saying a few things. I think it's important for them to win every single game they got left. To fit to, so if City do drop points, they want to make sure they're as close to, to City as they can be. be. Be as close, don't just accept seconds enough, doesn't matter the difference. You've you got next season. Get there and get everything. And so people will see that, will see that starting next season. And no one will talk about what's happening in between people talk about the points difference because yeah. we can also be one point away from City and everyone can say cool you can make up your own stories from it and say how close it went but the long and short of it be as close to them as you can be so everyone believes that they've got it right they've kept it going rather than a massive great big gap between first and seconds and first and second everyone's going negative about it no it doesn't mean anything because look at the point of it. get as close as possible work it don't just give up because you've got a final you can't just suddenly switch off and start just mucking about the team because you're worried about the amount of games you've got left you know because all of a sudden you're going into a final and it ain't right. You can't just keep changing. You still need that continuity, that team playing together to prepare for that final. So when I see, when I saw Ollie talking about and moaning, and he, he brings up the ones, the players, the players' health and all that, I'm kind of going, they're playing football. They're not going out digging roads. They're not having to stand on scaffolding. That's when you worry about people's health and safety. You know, when they're climbing scaffolding poles or they're going down into holes and things can cave in on them and things can drop in them you don't you know they're playing football they're doing something they love <clears throat> there might be something accidental something might happen in football it's human nature but you're asking them just to finish a season and put in a shift those players were put in a shift because they look they want to play in the final they, and they're going to try their best as many of them to try and turn it around even though it's going to be difficult because he, everyone virtually knows his team already when fit and how he's going to play in that final but people have to do it you want to be around Manchester United when things are like in the, when you're in this position because it's an incredible feeling as a player you see how their preparation to, for a final I've never done the European side of it but just for the domestic ones is incredible it makes you feel great even before you play the game and if you go and achieve something you know the maximum achievement from a final is an incredible feeling that evening yeah. it's, it's, it's a wonderful that bit on the pitch 
and normally it's great because you've got your own fans around and, it, and it's, an, it's incredible my first time that League Cup was something I never experienced in my life and people say to me but you played in the semi-final I said yeah but that, that was for me country this is for a club this is for this is, my, this is in my workplace yeah. you know this is the bit this is the main bit of it this is the bit that you work hard for and the one that you, you want to improve that you want to improve personally for give everything because they're the ones who are paying your wages yeah. they're the ones who, who have a right to judge you as an individual and then judge everything else collectively so <clears throat> I really do hope that Ollie plays his strongest teams he's got to want to beat Leicester to say goodbye to you we, we're better than you he's got to want to beat Liverpool not beating Liverpool and putting a shambolic performance out there at home and is not going to be good for him because yeah. people will jump off the back of that without a shadow of a doubt go out there make a mark and if you're getting silence from everybody Ollie that means that you're doing great because not many people are going to pat you on the back the right people will but the people who should be doing it won't do it because you don't fit the agenda of what the way they want to sell this with Manchester United so the best way to do it you know silence is golden I always say yeah. and that's the best and that's, the, and that's what he's got to go and do don't complain about it about the amount of games people want you to state the obvious as soon as you, but you get on with it over Christmas periods and it makes me sound like a golden oldie but that, if, it'd be, if someone comes out you've got to play those amount of games we'll go great that means we haven't got to train it's better than training you've got to want to play those games you've got to want to experience and go and go and want to be out there and be involved in a team that's in a, in a European final and play those games what good games to have you've got a play you've got a game against Leicester a team that you're fighting you can kill off and finish in second that lifts everybody that's something to play for then you've got a game against Liverpool that gives, that gives you a massive lift as well so I don't see what's to be not as if you've got to play got to play a middle a, a team that the game means nothing to them like a Wolves or you haven't got to go you, you ain't playing like say Brighton because it's going to be teams that, where the league's dead from they're just trying new things looking forward to next season yeah. you've got games which are still important for you to make a point yeah so, it's, it is going to be interesting that yeah. and, uh, like you said um, the Leicester one's the bigger um, but how, how can Liverpool never be a bigger so it's just <laughs> It's what yeah. it is. Um. It is what it is, and, and it's, it's important. It doesn't matter whatever the way Ollie wants to look at it. He can he cannot make that make, try and minimise that game and not not take it seriously. It doesn't matter whatever's going on. He has to take that game seriously for the fans. The fans will. The fans. Yes, they're in the final. Great, but he has to take that game serious. He has to play Cavani. Don't try and sit him on the bench. In my opinion, and bring him on when you think things are right. And if it ain't going right, you send him on because you're sending him on to chase it. And that's when something could happen because the emotional side might get to it on that side. And he knows how much that game means. He might just push himself further than what he normally does and go and do something silly. And then it fires back at you. So you make your mind up. You have to, you have to do it. You have to believe that you've got, you've got enough cover there to get you through the next game. And that's how he has to look at it. He can't just go, oh, we're in a final. I've got to keep the right players right. You know, we saw the other night. He keeps making his, he, he, I don't know, he's, trying, he's treat, trying to treat Luke Shaw as if he's some kind of royalty and keep taking him off and not <laughs> playing in games. Luke Shaw needs to be playing games of football. His, his body shapes 
doesn't suggest. It tells you the best way he's going to carry on as he is is keep playing because yeah. you can't afford him to be out because you wonder what, what he, he could, there could be a chance he could maybe throw a little bit more down his throat. So he needs to play. And when he's playing, he's played excellent. Yeah. And, and that's me, and I'm cynical, but he's been excellent. So you keep playing him. But uh, when you know you take him off like the other day, and it was it was horrible. It, well, I mean, that, you saw the drop when they took the full bags off. Him. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was terrible. Great for them because it shows their importance. But it was terrible. What happened? Teles comes on. His head must be all over the place, and no, and he's just been used. Oh, I was a nothing game as such, and all of a sudden everyone's slagging him off. Teles off. Oh, he was this and that. You got to understand what's his mindset like. What would you be like if you was doing singing work and all of a sudden you someone goes, oh, you go and do that. And you think, well, I'm only doing that because he's put him on there and he doesn't really think a lot of me. So, you know, that's how he is. He feels like he feels like a cone. He's only been used now and again. I'll just fill that space. He knows that the manager's got no belief in him. He knows that Luke Shaw's played really well. He's not going to get in. So you got to think, you know, to come out and say all this about him. And I think myself, it's totally wrong. How, how people do that. And then all of a sudden, Wan-Bissaka comes off and you see the difference, what he's made in that team, the impact. People will, will question him. Keeps yeah. always he's rubbish when he goes forward. He does this. Well, I'll tell you what, the can says, written on a can says, you're a defender. Even though you've got number 29 on your back, you're a number two. Yeah. Your priority is to defend. And whatever you do after that is an added bonus. Yeah. And it's still the same. That you, you know, still the same. He's ma- he's got a massive strength which no one has at right back. He can defend. He can recover. He c- he wins headers. He wins tackles that he shouldn't win. He makes the odd mistake, and when he does make a mistake, we all go wow. Yeah. We'll go. He shouldn't have done that. Well, to be honest, he's tried something, and he's been caught out maybe once every fifteen games, twenty games, or something. <clears throat> he does something silly, which he's human. He does. But so it's everyone, a, that's a good ratio, actually, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's incredible. But when Pitt oh, but he doesn't do this when he goes forward. Look at look at look at Terence Trent Derby at Liverpool when he goes forward. But the difference is Terence Trent Derby was a midfield player. <laughs> I can't suddenly, every time. Yeah, he, he, he goes he goes to right, and all of a sudden he can't get in a midfield. He didn't really have the edge to play in midfield, so he's gone to right back. They play the game to suit him. And he knocks balls in those kind of balls, which are percentage balls. If they come off, they look excellent. If they don't, you kind of go, "All right." But the thing he can't do a hundred percent is defend. You ask him to go one against one, people walk past him. When I say they walk past him, they literally do because he doesn't even really track back. He doesn't track them back. Mm. How often do you see him sliding in to try and sliding in front of them, trying to block? How many blocks does he make? Mm. Not many. Because he doesn't, he, he's not a defender. He, do, he doesn't sense danger. He doesn't bother him if someone if someone breaks his breaks the line around him in his area. He doesn't bother him because it, that's not his job. His job is to make goals. And if your job is just to make goals as a defender, who's going to do that defending job? So Wan Pasaka for me is an excellent fullback. Is he good enough to play for England as as a right back? And playing what the way they play, I really don't know because I don't know what I don't know what Gareth Southgate really wants. 
I, always, I look at Trippier and I think Trippier may be the one he goes for. Him or Carl Walker. Yeah, he's going to be unlucky not to make the squad, isn't he? He is, but I mean, there's always, there's always going to be that story we had for years and people still say it now. People who follow football in my era always still say, how did Steve Bruce, Steve not, Bruce yeah. not play for England? But then I always say, think about all the centre-halves that English centre-halves we had mm. in that era and we had some incredible centre-halves. When I, when I went 1990... We, we left Tony Adams at home and everyone was going, Tony Adams, this yeah. and that. But yeah, England had Mark Wright, they had Des Walker and they had Terry Butcher, mm. to name but three. Every side I played, and even in my days at Fulham and QPR, there were so many good British centre-halves. Even we're talking about a very, very competitive league, the Football League, and the early Premier League was very, very competitive, top to bottom. Every side had a decent centre half. Yeah, well, we had, I mean, we had yourself, Bruce and Pallister, who, should, who could have walked into, well, they would walk, all three of you would walk into the England team today, but um, it's just funny, like, you know, back then I can remember, I, I was like 13, 14, I was like, how are, how are my players not in the team? Do you know, like, because you had Dixon, Adams, and, you know, who else? Walker obviously Walker was magnificent um, I'm, not, I'm not discounting the quality of those players but it's affirming what you're talking about the quality of um, you know there, there are always going to be players of every era and, and, and that's where Aaron is unfortunate is that this for some reason um, it's like Jamie Carragher said no one dreams up and no one grows up dreaming of wanting to be Gary Neville but it seems like the last generation they all did because because um, well on the pitch anyway I don't know if they'll take on him off the pitch um, so like, I did ask loads of questions well I asked for questions and we got loads in I should say but talking on that England theme um, I'll try and get through them as quick as I can Paul right. so um, no, I'll keep it short and sharp <laughs> JG Football asks about the England team of 1990 he says how did Sir Bobby Robson get so many creative players into his starting 11 and still get success that's a great question actually I'm trying to think starting 11 if we talk about 1990 then we're talking Gaza we're talking Chris Waddle. We're talking Peter Beersley. Mm. And in one game, I think against Belgium, I think he started. He had John Barnes in the team. Mm. Um, Barnes yeah, was brilliant then as well. Yeah, he, he was. Yeah. The thing about um, John Barnes was people question his England. He wasn't good for England. He wasn't this well. I turned around and I, I mentioned this the other day when people chatted to me about Phil Foden, and I said. The biggest problem that Phil Foden's got now is that when he, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna play for his country, he has to be in that starting eleven without a doubt. Yeah, Because yeah. people aren't going to accept England starting without him in that team. Because his creativity, his work rate without the ball. But he's got his biggest problem is is that he's going to be playing with players who are not as good as the players who he plays his club football with. And that's how John Barnes was with Liverpool at that given time. You know, yeah. Liverpool in the late 80s and <clears throat> up until, of course, 1990, when they won their last league title, there was, in that 90, there were some excellent players playing for Liverpool. And Liverpool had that way of playing, and, they, and it was the way they set their body positions up, their angles, for Barnsley to play and his passing and that movement, leaving space for him. And to try to replicate that, playing for your country and playing with different players, it was difficult. Yeah. And he got persecuted for it. No different, maybe to a certain way, to Chris Waddle. 
Chris Waddle played in a fashion when he was at Newcastle, when he was Spurs. So when he came into England, he couldn't, he didn't, he couldn't, he didn't have that same confidence. Because when Chris Waddle played for Newcastle, and I played against Chris when when I was at Fulham, and when I was at QPR, I played against him when he was at Newcastle. And he was one of them ones. And I'm lucky that I played in the middle. So I didn't want to be out wide because he would have twisted my guts. <laughs> he was he was incredible. You look at him and you'll go, oh, who are you? The way he's hunched shoulders and the way he walked, the way he run. Yeah. You give him a ball, his body moved. I, I don't even know if he knew which way his body was moving sometimes. But those kind of players, when he played it for Newcastle and Tottenham, it was a case of Waddler, go and beat that man. Yeah. Just go and beat him and then beat him and beat him. When he played for England... When he was asked to go and maybe go and beat a man and he didn't, the fans got the ump. And when he tried again, they got the ump. But that was Chris Waddle. That's the way he played. So he never got the praise. And if Chris Waddle played in today's game, Chris Waddle would be a superstar. Yeah, he'd be the best player in the league. Yeah, wouldn't he? yeah he, would, he would be an absolute superstar. People keep wanting to talk about all these great players. Chris Waddle played in the Premier League, I'd like to say to people. But no one would talk about him because he's not in the last five, six years. And, you know, when people keep talking to me about Jack Grealish, and you know, I'm kind of going, John Barnes, Chris Waddle. Yeah. I mean, twice, I, I've twice, had... twice the player. Paul Gascoigne, twice the player. We, we, we don't talk about that enough, but it's only people like me and my era who will talk about them and relate to them to today's players. And today's players are put on pedestals because of the media is stronger than what it was in the 90s and the 80s. Yeah, it's crazy. And it, it, really is about, is. it is about finding that one player and then getting at them. To get at them, to persecute them, as what they, what they do, say, with an Ollie as a manager, but to put them on a pedestal and make them greater than what they are, make, them, make clubs feel as they can't... The clubs need them and they're the number one guy, like, Aston, like they've done with Aston Villa and Grealish, and they're suddenly trying to make Grealish with England. Even though he hasn't really played in a proper competitive game in the tournament or anything, you know, all of a sudden, the press will be soon writing, because he's hardly played, we'd normally be saying, has he played enough football to go? But the press will be pushing him to go because that's to be the press's agenda. And if Gareth, if Gareth doesn't take him, if Gareth doesn't start him, then Gareth is a bad manager. A lot of people have said that to me, fans. What's Gareth, why isn't he playing Grealish in there? I'm saying, but you've got to fit him in, he's got to be right. No, you've got to play him, but... I'll virtually say this management lark it's not that easy you have to make decisions that fit a purpose and that is to not to lose a game of football in certain ways but then to try and win it and if you have too many players on there who can create then you might have that problem about have you got enough players on that pitch that can destroy at a given time the mix is incredible and and that's why I would never want to be a manager <laughs> um, but, getting, yeah, but getting back to it, Steve, um, the question the question was, how did Bobby Robson di- do it? Bobby Robson got s- slaughtered as a manager. Bobby Robson never got appreciated as a manager until what happened in that World Cup. But you can't just go and get to a World Cup semi-final and be great. You have to go through some bad times, maybe, as a, as a national team manager before you maybe get the good times. Bobby Robson had bad times. He had a, a success, what, 86? 88 was a nightmare for Bobby Robson. People wanted to, they were trying to lynch him, the press. He got through that. He stuck in there. That tells you how brave he was. His life was about bravery on and off the pitch. But then he got to 1990 and something clicked. And that was, that's what it brought. Was it, was it a bit of luck? I think when you go into tournaments, how many people always say, and I'll always say it, is that something happens and you just have to make a change for some reason. Someone comes in and bang. 
it works for you. How many players have been bought and sold over yeah. after a major tournament? Yes, true. <laughs> yeah, and that's what happened. And, and, that, and that's what happens because it puts you in an unbelievable position. David Platt, yeah. David Platt makes an unbelievable move to, to Italy. He, get, he, gets a, he gets a move to Italy, David Platt, off the back of that. Des Walker got a move to Italy. Gaza, to some, Gaza probably yeah, Gaza, Gaza, Gaza did it off the back of that. Although Gaza was, I mean, he was different. Yeah, I don't know, I yeah was, he was different. I, I, should have, I should have been going to Lazio. <laughs> after, after uh, incredible going, me going to Lazio with the way they were at the time as well. But they they wanted they wanted me, but I didn't go for the simple reason was when I come back in the November of that 1990, I'd done the cruciate. Yeah. yeah. So my own my own goalkeeper curtailed me from going from going and made going overseas. Perhaps for the best that you didn't yeah. all that time oh, yeah. with Gaza. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm just in... Did, because at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, if you if you really want to be successful, you try, you be successful at home first. Yeah. Not, and, not, and, not somewhere else. You do it at home. And then, then, you, then, as far as I'm concerned, you earn the right to go and test yourself when you go overseas. Yeah. That was a, a loaded question, really. It wasn't one that I could throw at you for a simple answer. But we've got some, some ones that are probably yes or no's. Yeah. Um, or, or just one-word answers. Apart from this one, Steve Crabtree, if Craig David wrote Seven Days During Lockdown, how do you think the chorus would have gone? I don't know that song, Steve. I'm not going to put it to Paul, um, but I'm going to guess that he probably wouldn't have done an awful lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Gar Kavanagh asks, um, your favourite... F- he's He's gone with four questions. I'm going to give them all to you. Favourite United kit that, that you wore? Um, the black one. That was beautiful, that one. Um, yeah. Favourite game for United? Favourite game... Ooh... <coughs> Favorite game? I'm going to say the Blackburn game, '93. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and why he asks? But obviously there's a yeah. Well, why? Yeah, because because what the game meant to every single fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, Beth, this is from an account called, and this is a, a curious account. Phil Jones testimonial. <laughs> um, oh, well, we will not comment on that. But um, he asks, best player you played with. Where at United? I think just overall, yeah. I always, I always answer this one a bit strange. I always say Steve Bruce. Yeah, good. I just, good. I, I, I just love playing next to Bruce. He just being, just being next to him and just the way he is. He put a smile in your face. Someone you see him when he's had to make a run somewhere, but he's panting like a, he's panting like an old, an old Saint Bernard. <laughs> and then he look at him, he just that look on his face because he because <laughs> way he was, and he was never tired. He just the way he was. You know that if he was tired, he would run again just to stop someone scoring and put and go in with his head first. Yeah. And and just the way he was, he would do things which players of today wouldn't even think about what you do with his bravery. He was an incredible player for Manchester United. No, he wasn't didn't have the technical ability like Eric did and he wasn't maybe like a sparky hitting incredible volleys. He didn't have the, the pace and power of San Andre. He wasn't, you know, a good looking, handsome body shape. Uh, by the played, way, Steve, if yeah. you listen to this, that's Paul who said that. That's not yeah. me who said that. And and played with the swagger of a Lee Sharp. He didn't have the sharpness <laughs> Of say a Ryan Giggs, but what he was, he was an honest, honest player. Who I think everybody who was defend, who was a defender at that given time, 
wanted someone like that next to him. Yeah, I was going to say, what qualities did he have? You you running him down a bit? That was like, no, oh, this turns no, around. No, <laughs> no, we did turn around. And Bruce, Bruce see, see the thing about it, pre, people always keep going, oh, about older way, you know, people way he plays out the back. People talk about Maguire. He, can play, he runs the ball out the back and runs into cul-de-sacs. Brucey was an incredible passer of the ball. Yeah, little balls into people into Sparky's chest. He had this thing. He kept doing it. He was an incredible. He won more balls in the air than Gavin um, than um, Harry Maguire. Well, we saw what we told last week. Yeah, Brucey was um, like a rhino. They charge. Watch it if you if you. I just advise anyone maybe maybe go back and watch the 93-94 season I think you can find that on YouTube I mean you can just see the way that he attacks the ball it's so, so much different um, oh he, he was he was absolutely incredible and his goals he scored of his head and the, and the way he defended he won more balls in the air than Pally and Pally was maybe five inches taller yeah, no, that's yeah. absolutely true. Um, yes. John Chamberlain asks about, well, he said that he'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the two fullbacks, but I think we've already covered that. Yeah. Um, and how you'd rate them against the likes of Irwin, Ever, and Gary Neville. I think it's probably a bit unfair because yeah. those guys, are, I mean, if Shaw and Wambasaka win trophies with the United, then we'll stop that conversation. I think it's not fair to do that to him now. Um, mm. But John knows that he's a, he's a, a long time fan. Um, Louis uh, Vasco asks this and uh, this ties on nicely from the last um, thing is Maguire a better centre back than many make him out to be I I like this question for you Paul because we've changed our opinion over this season but not strong enough to say alright he's completely convinced us but I think we've turned around a little bit that we we were quite critical of him at the start of the season and and perhaps perhaps Louis's got a point there is that um Perhaps the public perception of him is a little bit unfair. But what do you think after after the season that he's had? Um, well, I think if he was, you know, if he if he lifts a trophy, then that's going to add a little bit more to it. It's amazing how much a difference people people look at look at things when someone has lifted a trophy. Yeah. You know, in that sense, um, I still wouldn't put him anywhere near the centre half. So I've, I've played with at United yeah. or the ones who have played after I've left. <clears throat> there's been too many great centre-halves and there's been too many good centre-halves. Henningberg was a good centre-half for Manchester United. Yeah. Ronnie, Yoni, Ron, uh, Ronnie, <laughs> Ronnie, get me words out. Ronnie, Ronnie Johnson was an, in, was an incredible centre-half. Yeah. Incredible centre-half. I played with Ronnie in ex-United games overseas and that. And Ronnie is still the same when he plays. He is so, so, cool. so honest. Yeah. And everything about him, everything about him as a person and as a player was just perfection. And he's immaculate, and he was a. But he was just unlucky in the time the centre halves there, <clears throat> you know, who he played with. A lot of them were very good centre halves. Stam was an excellent centre half. I don't think I don't think he's reached those levels yet. And again, maybe I shouldn't be judging him against those players because those players <clears throat> won trophies and played in great United teams. Yeah. So, but yes, I, <clears throat> I have to say is that. Yeah, he's, he's moved on from where I thought he was. He's he's still got a way to go to convince me about the costings, but that will take time. And within that time, United might go on and win Premier League. So straight away, that eighty million doesn't even come. You know what he what he cost doesn't even come into it because the rewards of winning trophies for United straight away will surpass that fee. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dan asks. So we did talk about the. Um 
the, the fixture pile up a little bit earlier, but he comes at it from a different angle. Dan, who's uh, one of the social media managers for the website, he talks about the um, the Thursday, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday schedule um, and how it brings back memories of those four matches in eight days that you played in uh, the 1992 title run. Mm. But obviously the squad, he says the squad was a lot smaller then as well. He says, if we'd have been given more time between games, do you think that we would have gone on to, to win the league? Um... I can only answer this in hindsight, really. Yeah. Um, I think what he I wants have, is a yes. Yeah, I think yeah. <laughs> I, I have to. I have to believe that in certain ways because yeah. no one really talks about the health of players and resting. Rest. If you come out and talk about rest, yeah. Well, then it was a case of well, you're not fit enough. Go and run around the field enough. Go and do another lap of Littleton Roads, which you never really want to do. Especially those bushes over the over the over the side there, the bushes where the kids used to pop up like meerkats and nick the balls when they went into the high grass. Yeah, he's uh, a runner. So no, we we never talked about it. Players never said about being tired. The idea was to play games, and for me, for my just experience of playing for United, I couldn't wait to get out there for games because the atmosphere, you know, even at away games, was something that I never experienced as much as. I love Queen's Park Rangers to death. The atmosphere of playing away games and was incredible, incredible yeah. for that club. Yeah. Um, we're nearly at the end. We've just got a few more. Um, Kev Conn says, just pass on thanks for being one of the few ex-players to tell it exactly as it is to the media. Nice one. I like that. Um, that's for you, though. That's not a compliment <laughs> yeah. for me, unfortunately. Um, Ricky Fenton, um, good friend of the website, he says, I'd like to ask Paul, if he was United manager and he could only bring in one defender during the summer, who would it be? It's a good one, that. Is there I'd anyone br- out there that jumps at you? Yes, the one who jumps at me, <clears throat> he's only got the one thing against him, is that he played for Leeds on loan. Okay. Which would be the Brighton, the Brighton centre half? Yeah. Is that why Ben White? Is it Ben? White? Yeah, yeah, Ben White. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, and the, the re, one of the reasons why as well, because he can. I've seen him play as a holding midfield player. Yeah. And he's played it really well, and he's a good passer. He's a he can play fullback, but he's just his stature says to me you could play him as a centre half, and he'd be absolutely perfect. He's an af, he's an athlete as well. A very good athlete, very quick, and he's, he, he senses danger. Yeah, he is a really, really good player, and there'll be everyone. Everyone will be trying for him this summer, yeah. and he's not going. He's not going to be massive money like a lot of the like a lot of these others will be. He won't be massive, <clears throat> but he is a very, very good player. Yeah. I can easily go out and name star names, but you don't have to go and get star names. You can just go and get people who have adapted really quickly. And well in the Premier League at another club, and he's done that. He's proved himself in the Championship, and then he didn't want us. And then all of a sudden, he had to stay at his parent club. They gave him a new contract. I think he's ready to move on now. Really ready. I can remember you talking about Max Ahrens and um, who else was it? James Madison before they moved as well. I can be saying that. Um, Yeah, I mean that, that that was a ridiculous thing I said about Madison was one of them. You you could have gone and got him. Yeah. Very, very cheap. I just think if you if you'd gone and got a Madison to Manchester United, he would have been a better player than what he is even for Leicester. Yeah. Because the club, the, the about the club, you wouldn't have got this silly side, this little wedge about him, which he's got this kind of wearing silly glasses and all that. That doesn't really happen if you're at Manchester United because there's too many other things around which are 
bigger and better. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, couple more. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Uh, Nick, I'm, I'm sorry because all of the ones that I was going for were the yes or no's, but the couple of belting ones here. Nick Child says, "Do you think you would have been better at United playing sweeper like you did at other clubs, or did you prefer playing at right back for United?" Um, I think I, I think I, I think I found that when I when I joined United, initially it was in the it was more the case of. You know, Bruce is struggling, <clears throat> and I'll be moving into the middle. Yeah. And I got there. Clayton comes away from right. Um, <clears throat> comes. Dennis comes from right, from right back, and goes to left. I fit in there. <clears throat> I say I went to United, and if I'd have played centre half, excuse me, got a frog in my throat. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. I would say that I would have struggled because of the, it was a different responsibility playing in the middle at centre-half for Manchester United than what it was <clears throat> playing when I was at QPR. I had four seasons at QPR where I played as a man-to-man -man marker, I played as a sweeper and I played in a back four in the last 18 months, me and, me and Alan McDonald. Mm. And I loved it, everything about it, and I played it in my fashion. I used to get it and <clears throat> drive forward with the ball from, from a centre-half position and almost played it like playing as a, a sweeper come centre-half. Yeah. Even the four at the back, I would, I'd all maybe drop that, go and get it, and get on the ball a little bit deeper and do that. But all of a sudden, I get to United, and there's a different kind of pressure, and yeah. I and I just felt that difference in playing in there because there was more, there's more emphasis on getting on the ball as a centre half than what it was at Queens Park Rangers. It was it was different. I couldn't control it as I did before, and going to full and then going to full back. People say, oh, it should have been easy. No, it couldn't have been. It wasn't easy because the last time I played fullback <coughs> regularly was not from 1985. Yeah. Because yeah. in the last couple of years, my last few years at um, Fulham, I played with Tony Gale at fullback. I played with Roger Brown. Yeah. <coughs> I played with different people at centre half in a four. So when I, I wasn't a fullback, I only become kind of a fullback when. Oh, definitely when I went to United, but when I played for England, I played as a fullback. Yeah. And then Bobby Robson then used me as a wingback. So I never really become a fullback again until those four years at Manchester United in that role. Yeah. Five years, sorry. But I, I would say as well, for anyone who didn't watch Paul play, um, just I said about Steve Bruce earlier, but we'll go back and watch that 93 94 season. I was watching, I don't know where it came up the other day, the Sheffield Wednesday game where we won 5 0, and you were involved in some of the goals. And what what I really loved about um, your play, which I, 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 you know, I know that I, I compliment you a lot, but I know that it probably frustrates you sometimes, but I did want to say this as well because I was like, oh yeah, I remember this, and I was probably. I know that you call me from time to time. I was probably going to tell you then to stop embarrassing you. But Ronnie, I'm going to do it. Your economy of the ball, you know what I mean? Knowing when to use it. It's such an underrated part of a, a top player's game. That The simplicity side of it. Because it's the simplicity of making something look simple that's so good. And... Um, the um, the Sheffield United goal away where you, Hughes scored and everyone was involved and everyone passed it about your involvement in that the, the sensibility of it is just just anyone just go back and watch those games and watch watch how good Paul was as a footballer and how, how well he adapted to that role at right back like he was saying there it wasn't just a a case of playing there forever it's um, he had to sort of adapt his role there um, the, the last one Paul last one 
finally, <laughs> after this comment, which was from the footy library of, why don't they say ferrets tackle like Paul Parker rather than the other way around? And I think that's probably fair. Um, the, from Batfink chat, and it's probably quite too much of a serious one to end on, but um, it is what it is. Reading away in the FA Cup when the fans threw the banana at you, um, and mm-hmm. Eric picked it up off the pitch and threw it straight back into their fans. Um, how did that make you feel? I mean, you talked to me about the Leeds fans and the, the racist abuse that you got there, and even at United sometimes as well before you arrived at the club. Um, but even I always feel like it, it's a massive progression that we've made as a society, and then sometimes we step 15 steps back. But I felt like from the time that you came at United to 96, I do feel like there was some of that kick it out was starting to come into the game and everything like that. So there was a greater awareness of trying to get racism out of the game and I remember being shocked by that um, can, you, can you talk to us about that incident um, how, you know what, what went down on that day um, well that kind of happened more there because it was because their fans their main bulk of their fans their hardcores say was <clears throat> on that far side and they were, they was on the side rather than behind the goal as mm. such they were the ones the thing about it prior to signing for United I used to live in Reading yeah <clears throat> I lived in a place called Wokenham and I'd been around there a lot from a young youngster, kind of been around Reading, known to have been around Reading for quite a while. So that so a lot of people would have known that. And I think as well as Manchester United, <clears throat> it's a massive game for them. And <clears throat> I was an easy target as such. I was right playing on that, I come on on that side, and I was just an easy target. Did it really bother me at that time? No, the same as I can say the way I've always been. As I, as I got on with it, you get you kind of you you wise up to it. You get more. You get experience experience in handling it. And I would have just laughed because at the end of the day, more for them because they've spent a load of money to come in to abuse me, and I'm getting paid for what I'm doing. So who's the mug? <clears throat> you know because you know they could do it for free on the street if they wanted to and not spend their ten fifteen pound, but they wouldn't do it there because they wouldn't have all that around them, all those other sheep around them to protect them, so they wouldn't do it. Players of my era were like that, Wayne. We're all like that, you know. One that wasn't going to affect us because we'd question them rather than them trying to question us. So we and we just we were doing what we loved, and no one was ever going to take it away. And and that and that was <clears throat> my mentality, mentality. And that was a lot of the other black players who played in that era. That was definitely Incy's mentality. That never bothered Incy in a million years. That that made like him it made me play better. You know, nothing better for me than when I was at <coughs> Fulham. Excuse me, my frog in my throat. <coughs> when I was at Fulham, <coughs> and even when I was at Queen's Park Rangers, I went to Ellen Road on quite a few occasions, never lost games there. And I walked away, if I played Fulham and QPR, if I played five, six, if I played five, six games, if I played five games there, I won man the match three times. Yeah. Sponsors, man in the match. So... And that's what those kind of games meant to me. Going to Yorkshire was always tough, <clears throat> being a black player. But the one thing I always say to people is that I went to Ellen Road for the first time as a Manchester United player, and it was a completely different experience going there because people were more concerned about the colour of my shirt than the colour of my skin. Yeah, you said it that was before. A, yeah, absolutely incredible how that changed. And that, then that's when I realised how much <clears throat> Leeds United hated Manchester United. Now, I never knew that. So, so when I got, went to Anfield as a Manchester United player, that's when I had to then ask questions 
and my ignorance, with my ignorance at that given time, why this hate was all about. Because I, I was trying to say, this isn't about football, is it? And then you find out. And then you suddenly realise, you, you ask the question, why is the hate between Leeds and Manchester United? Didn't know it, never knew about it. I thought it was going to be about me. and my, It wasn't, it was about, you know, the Lancashire side of it and things. Like, ne- ne- never, knew, never knew about that hate between those, those fans. And it's, it was a learning experience for me, but to actually to be called a red, a red, a red, you know, whatever, compared to a black was something which still makes me laugh now and made me realise just, you know, that how things were, how things changed being a Manchester United player. Yeah, just speaking on a person-to-person basis, <laughs> Paul, like the, the dignity that you show is so humbling um, with stuff like that. It's just, um, I remember those days and I remember those incidents and the way that you talk about it is just um, mind-blowing, to be fair. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um and I'm not saying that's a savoury thing to go back and watch, but I mean all those kind of things you can probably find on YouTube now. Um, so yeah, please, please do if you want to consider yourself educated. But um, if you want to concentrate on that good stuff, do go, do go back and watch um, that '93, '94. A little bit of Brucey, but also those those passing goals, like against Wimbledon, against Sheffield United, against Sheffield Wednesday. Some great goals in there, and, and Paul's involvement as a right back, but still the involvement of every single player. You look at the economy of possession, the way that it's moved, the, the smoothness of it. That's a, and I always indulge in doing stuff like that because it was my favourite team. But um, it's an opportunity for those who haven't to go back and look at it. Um, right, we will be back next week. Thank you to Paul for his patience for um, over an hour, over half an hour. I mean, over half an hour talking to me is showing good patience anyway <laughs> but another half an hour um, good fare taking the um, taking the questions from everyone uh, we will be back next week to talk about the um, fixture pile up and how it sort of comes out um, until then you know and remember TOTD 10 for a 10% discount with classic football shirts on their online store please leave us a nice review or rating on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the podcast we will uh, yeah please do that if you're a new listener as well because um, if we're picking up some new listeners it would be good to to get your thoughts on the pod um, we will be back next week stay safe stay well and thanks for listening Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.